So today we're going to be talking about living in the and, and this is a phrase that I made up, so it's brand new. I don't know if somebody's probably already said it before, but living in the and. <clears throat> and before I get started, I think it's always helpful with, with sermons and messages to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you where we're going today. I'm not going to just, it's not going to be a, a surprise. I'm going to tell you where we're headed. Um, when I look, when we look at the scriptures, I think we can all agree, and I believe this firmly, that the word of God serves as correction to our lives. So it, it either tells us what we should be doing or what we shouldn't be doing. Um, and one of the most, the, the clearest examples of that is in Proverbs 4, 5, which says, get wisdom and get understanding. So it's just strong instruction, go get wisdom and get understanding. Now, I could just like read that and say, oh, now I have wisdom and now I have understanding. But obviously, there's not a lot of instruction there, right? It's just a statement of what we should be doing. <clears throat> so we could walk away feeling good about ourselves, thinking that we gain more wisdom by reading that. But there's not actually a lot to go, to go on there. But one thing we do learn just from reading those four words, get wisdom, get understanding. What I would take away from that is that if God's word is instructing me to go and get wisdom, get understanding, it's probably best that I assume I don't have it. It's best to assume that I don't have wisdom. It's best to remain humble in my approach, depending on God. It's not something I naturally do. I don't naturally get wisdom. I don't naturally get understanding. We drift the opposite direction. So we need to be humble in our approach, constantly depending on the Lord to enlighten our minds and renew our understanding to his reality, amen? And that's our, that's our goal here today. We're never depending on our earthly experiences alone. We have to get wisdom and get understanding. So today I wanna, I wanna encourage us to set aside our preconceived notions Let's be dependent on God's wisdom. Um, let's not assume that we know best and let's trust his word above our own. I hope that you're challenged by what I share today. Um, and it's not, these aren't my words. These, this is from the word of God. And as weird as it sounds, I do hope that you might already feel a little uncomfortable. But I hope this makes you feel a little uncomfortable and if you, maybe you're somebody that is really just not comfortable wearing a mask, well, then it's just more of the same, right? So we can just keep going with that. <laughs> um, but no, really, I hope that today you, you, you learn to think differently about, and it's gonna be about the way that our faith interacts with the world around us, okay? So living in the end, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> this is, a, this is a, a phrase that I came up with, obviously, and you understand soon what I mean by it. But to preface it, I think um, it's one of the most difficult things we are called to do as Christians. And it's also likely one of the most important. It requires nuance and wisdom and open, openness to change. Growing in it depends upon community and feedback and conversation. It requires a peaceable spirit that is willing to accept that sometimes it's wrong. So when we look to the scriptures, we see a number of different ideas and principles and truths that are spoken in conjunction with each other. So what I'm gonna do is go through a short list of examples of and statements found in God's word. And when we talk about living in the end, we've gotta understand that when we choose to do only one of these things, we miss out on a whole world of truth that God wants us to understand. So the first one, I'm gonna go through a list of examples here. Work and rest. Work and rest. 
This comes from Exodus 20, which states, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, this is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you you shall do no work. Work and rest, okay? Next would be faith and works. James 2.14 says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So it's almost like one cannot be the same without the other together. Body and spirit. For as the body without the spirit is dead, this is from James 2.26, same chapter. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we are body and spirit. Leadership and submission. 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, and not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. So submission. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another in humility. Be clothed with humility. Leadership and submission. Men and women, young and old. This comes from Joel 2 originally, and it's spoken again in Acts 2 in Peter's sermon. It says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Men and women, young and old. White and black and brown and yellow and red. Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. All people. Men and women, young and old, white, black, brown, yellow, red, every single person on this earth. Those are all and statements. And these and statements are, are really important, but these next two are gonna be the, the focus today as they re- relate to, directly to our mission as Christians. So number one would be in the world and not of this world. Now, a lot of times we've, we heard this, this is a phrase that is like, this is a paraphrase I would, is what I would say from the scripture. Jesus never actually said that specific phrase, but when we look at it from John 17, you can see what, what he's trying to get across. And a lot of times we say it like in the world, but not of this world as we're talking about ourselves. Like I am in this world, but not of this world. And I think the better way to explain it is that I am in this world and not of this world. Slightly different. I don't know if it feels different for you. It feels different for me. So John 17, Jesus was praying for his disciples. He says, I have given them your word. He's praying to God. I have given them, my disciples, your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I mean, there's a bunch there, but we see that he says, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
So we are like Jesus in that sense. As followers of Christ, we are like Jesus as having a citizenship elsewhere, right? And we are also like Jesus in that he says, as you sent me into the world, he manifests himself on earth. We are also here on the earth. So we're in the world and not of this world. Number two, and these go together, truth and love. Ephesians 4, 15. This is Paul writing to the church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This might be one of the most complicated ones, truth and love. Maybe something that would be helpful if we put these in different terms where we can think of it as truth and love can be conviction, truth, and love, compassion, right? It can be right beliefs, truth, and right action, love. There's, there's a lot of different ways we can think about this. There's so many practical applications for truth and love. Um, but we'll get to those in just a second, and I think they connect. So let's start with understanding what does it mean to be in this world and not of this world. In the world and not of this world. This is almost, like, this is almost a paradox. It, it doesn't really compute with our natural minds. And as Christians, if we're honest about it, we really struggle to understand this well. In the end, we, we typically pick one or the other. Um, we say that we are in the world sometimes, and then other times when we don't like the situation, we're like, this isn't my problem, I'm not of this world, right? I don't have to deal with this. My citizenship is in heaven, right? But the, there's, there's a major problem in saying or. When we say truth or love or in this world or, or not of this world, again, like we said, we miss out on a whole world of truth that God wants us to understand. So this concept, in the world, not of this world, it has heavy implications on our evangelism. It affects the way that our faith interacts with the world around us. A missional mindset leads us away from saying or. In both of these situations, in the world and of the world and not of this world and truth and love. If we say or, we're missing out on the missional mindset, right? So when we look at the recent events in this world, right? Coronavirus would be one, obviously. And then these brutal acts of, of police, police brutality and, and the subsequent protests for racial justice that have, have just exploded all over the world, not even just in America, all over the world. We see that it exposed the depravity of society and our culture and our systems and that they're, they're, people are crying out for a king who can save them and a kingdom where there is no pain or suffering, where there's no illness or prejudice do we have an answer to that problem? No? Do we have an answer to that problem? Absolutely. We have the answer. The gospel, salvation through Christ, is the answer. Yet what, have we, what we've done is we've, a lot of us, have, we've picked a side for an earthly solution. And when I would talk about earthly solutions, they're not the worst, but they're not the answer. So I'm gonna do a little experiment here. When I ask this question, I want, I want you to think of your initial response when I ask this question. You don't have to say it out loud. If you want, that would be interesting. Feel free to do it. Are you left or right? Left. 
Yes. I love you, Evan. I love you. <laughs> Perfect answer. Are you left or right? Okay. If, you're, if your first thought was, are you Democrat or Republican, you're probably not alone, but you're probably also a little too entrenched in a political, earthly solution mindset. Um, because what I was actually asking you was, are you left-handed or right-handed? <laughs> Got it? There you go. So are you left or right? We have to change the way that we think, amen? We gotta change the way we think. So living in the world and not of this world, living in the end, what does it look like? If we live in the world and not of this world, we should be able to recognize that simply writing off the world's problems as issues of sin is just the beginning. So don't freak out about that. I, we are all in agreement, Romans 5, Genesis 3, the problem of the world is sin, right? And it originates in the human heart. That's how it changes, right? It could not be more true that everything wrong in this world is a result of sin. So while we live in this world, the solution for the world is not found within it. It's not here. This is, the solution is, is, is in the heart. It's not found in societal, financial, or political structures. The fix for sin is the gospel, but this is just the beginning. The gospel is just the beginning of change. And so listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. One of American Christian culture's pitfalls is the way that we view these earthly systems. The way we talk about them, we give them a lot of credit. We talk about political, financial, and societal structures, and we give them a lot of credit. And if there's ever evidence of how we pick sides, it's in the political realm. And I know you're, you're like, everybody's like, politics, like everybody starts shaking, like almost like, I don't even wanna talk about it. I'm with you. But listen, if, and this is a word of encouragement, if you spend more time spouting your political views than you do the truth of the gospel, you might be idolizing the political system, okay? So, and we can change, right? This is all about change. We don't have to do that anymore. We can recognize that the solution is found in the gospel. But as I said, recognizing that the solution is the gospel is just the beginning. It's not, the solution is not found in societal, financial, or political structures. The fix for sin is the gospel, but the gospel is not impractical. It's not a feeling. It's truth. We're living in the and. We're in this world and not of this world. So in the same way that trusting wholeheartedly in these earthly structures, like the political and societal structures, trusting in that to fix the problem of sin is just a hopeless endeavor, so is having a spiritual understanding of the gospel without a practical application. Got it? There's spiritual and practical there. We can't just feel the gospel. We can't just internalize the gospel. There's action that is produced in our real world from the gospel. So our purpose here is not just to stand around with our arms folded and protesting sin. As Christians, that's not what we're called to do. If all we have is a right belief, then in our effort to turn people to Christ, we turn them to an immaterial faith. 
is one that sits idly by and just commentates on the problems of the world. That it's, it, it's afraid to get its hands dirty, to care for our neighbors, to bear the burdens of our friends and family. Right? That's not what the gospel looks like in this world. And as citizens of heaven, so not of this world, as citizens of heaven, our future is secured. We have hope. So in terms of interacting with the world around us, what if this hope that we have is not just to make us feel better? We talk about hope like, I just gotta have hope. What if that hope that you want to have is really to be shared with someone that needs to hear it? It's to be a light to the world around you. When people look at us, we go through crazy, crazy trials and tribulations on this earth, and people look at us and say, how are you okay? Boom, let me tell you, right? It's not just to make you feel okay, it's to be shared. It is precisely because we are not of this world that we can make an impact on it while we are yet here. Having our hope elsewhere, it frees us to fight hard to see real change happen on earth in both spiritual ways, spiritual being the revival of God's people and the salvation of the lost and practical ways, the eradication of systemic racism and renewal of the sanctity of life. We can see both of those things happen. We don't have to pick one. Unfortunately, I'll say this, when it comes to racism, generally speaking, and don't, you don't have to take this personally, but I'm speaking generally here, Christians have not been the best at fighting for practical change when it comes to racism. And when it comes to abortion, Christians have not been the best at working for spiritual change. And this is the nuance that we're talking about. For some reason, when we talk about abortion, the only solution is to change the laws. We're trusting heavily in the political and, and judicial, judicial system. But when we talk about racism, the only solution is for God to change the hearts of the people. But we need both. We need spiritual change and practical change. And the way that we do that is through the truth and love. The way that we share the gospel it has to be spoken in truth and love. This is point number two. This might be the most difficult thing that we have to do as Christians. It's something that I think we, we spend our whole lives attempting to do better and to improve at. And unfortunately, when we think of truth, we sometimes think of it as this brutally honest, the cold hard truth. It's inconsiderate of how you're feeling or what your experiences have been. And that it's, it's, it's transcendent of how you feel about it. Right? So it's like, it's truth no matter what. It's absolute, and it is absolute. But we feel like, so it doesn't matter how you share it. If it's truth, then no matter how you share it, it's good. It can never be wrong. In the same way, when we think about love, we think peace and acceptance and forgiveness and tenderness. Sometimes this creates this incorrect understanding that truth is stronger than love, or that love is weaker than truth. Um, when we look at what Paul said in Ephesians 4, that we may grow up in all things into him who is head Christ. So he's saying, speaking the truth in love, so that we'll be more like Christ. 
we see that we have to do this balance of truth and love in order to be a good representation of the head of the body, which is Christ, which is our savior and our, our leader. In order to be like Christ, this, is like, this isn't an option. This is like a central tenet to our faith. This is what it means to be a Christian. In our, in our evangelism to other people, we're speaking the truth in love. And to be clear, when we're talking about what, what is truth and what is love, when we're talking about truth, we're talking about eternal truth. We're talking about gospel truth. Do not elevate your political opinions to the level of truth. And to be extra clear, when we're talking about love, we're talking about the verb, not the feeling. Don't elevate your idealistic desire. I just want everybody to get along. It's good. That's, that's, that comes from somewhere. It comes from the Holy Spirit. There's a desire for, for harmony that comes from the Holy Spirit. You gotta do something about it. It's gotta be, there has to be action paired with it. Love is a verb. It's an action that we, we show to the world. It's not just a feeling. Do something about it. So what we're seeing is that truth without love is not truth. Love without the truth is not love. Let's, I'm gonna replace some of those words to help illustrate. Water without oxygen, it's not water. Sundays without football, or no, I'm just kidding. No, so water without oxygen is not water. Of course it's not water, right? Without oxygen, it's just hydrogen. And this is the way that we should think about truth and love. They should be so deeply intertwined that they can't exist without each other that if you look at it without the other, it's the whole thing's a wash. It's not even the thing that you want it to be. They fully support each other. And we should be able to recognize that. And in our efforts to do it, we should be speaking truth and love to people that aren't speaking truth and love. Got it? This is the nuance. In our attempts to share the gospel, we will fail. We will forget to love as we speak the truth. We will forget to speak the truth as we love. It's gonna happen. And when we see our brothers and sisters doing that, we come to them with the truth in love. All the time. They fully support each other. So, Ask, this, ask yourself this question. If you were to audit your attempts to evangelize and love not just the lost, but also your brothers and sisters in their differences, in their maybe uh, their differences in their political opinions and how they're different than you. If you were to audit your attempts to love them and speak the truth to them, are you doing it well? Are you balancing truth and love? I know that a lot of times, and I think what we struggle with as a society, I think more than the other is favoring truth over love. We tend to think as long as I'm speaking the truth, it's gotta be good, right? It's gotta be right. And we're not being considerate of, of other people. We're not leading them to a place of listening to us and, and accepting the truth. And when we look at Jesus' ministry, and this is what I want to get to, 
Influence only happens when you do these things, when you do truth and love together. I mean, put yourself in that situation. If somebody came up to you off the street and started yelling at you, not even yelling, there's no need to yell. If they were just brutally honest with you and told you something that you needed to hear and you didn't think it was what you needed to hear, you don't even know the person, they didn't do anything for you, they didn't show you any sort of compassion or care, how willing would you be to accept the word? I think we can be idealistic and say, well, if it's the truth, I would know it, but that's not how we are with politics. That's not how we are with a lot of other things. When we look at Jesus and the way that he walked on the earth, he knelt down, he held people's hands, he healed them, he touched them, and then he called them to a life different from which he found them. We think about the prostitute that was surrounded by the leaders of the law and they were trying to entrap Jesus in this political, religious argument, right? And they were gonna stone him and he steps in and he says, the first of you, uh, the, the, that you which, who of you, whoever of you is without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody walks away, right? So what was that? Love and truth together. And then he says, go and sin no more. That's truth and love because it's the best thing that she could do. It's what she needed to hear, right? But it was also truth in that it was the way that she needed to live. It was the life that she was called to as a a born again believer, right? So there, I, I look at that, I remember reading that passage and thinking, oh yeah, when he, when he says, whoever of you is without sin, cast the first stone, that was love because he was protecting her. It was also truth because nobody there was blameless. And I looked at him saying, go and live a, a life of sin no more as truth. And it's like, yeah, she's not allowed to sin anymore. But it's also love because it's what he wants for her. He wants freedom and forgiveness, right? They go together, they're so deeply intertwined. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I have a lot to work on, and I know I do. The good news is that there's time to get wisdom. And when we have a perspective that we don't have wisdom and we need to get it, We can be open to the Holy Spirit, showing us in every interaction that we have with people around us, our brothers and sisters, and those around us who don't know Christ. In every interaction, there's opportunity for the Holy Spirit to show you how to move forward, to get wisdom. It's never too late. What I wanna close with today is one last perspective. So we've been talking about living in the end. The beauty of, of living in the end is understanding that we serve a God of the end. Romans 8.31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isn't that beautiful? So what does that mean? What, What things are those? The fruit of the spirit. It's freedom and love and joy and peace 
and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's not actually how it reads. There aren't that many ands. It's bad grammar. But it is and all of those things. And because uh, Jesus has been freely given to us and freedom and salvation has freely been given to us, the opposite of that is that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Because of the end. And you no, know, when I think about that, we're going, we've been through a lot of struggles as a church, as a people, as a country, as a society. Nothing about that says that those things won't come, that death won't come. But it says that we won't be separated from the love of God. So our hope is in him, amen. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your willingness to, to show us truth, to walk with us, God, that you provide us with wisdom and understanding. Lord, help us to be courageous in our attempts to live in the end, to understand that we are here and we wanna make a difference, but that our hope is elsewhere, Lord, and that that is a source of our strength. And when we think about the hope of heaven, Lord, that we would share that hope with those around us, that we would understand that people think differently than us and that we would listen and understand each other, that we would be compassionate to each other and that we would share in our convictions as well. Lord, help us to speak the truth in love. God, and if so be it, help us to be slow to speak, to receive your wisdom and understanding in every situation, Lord. God, help us to be a greater influence on those around us, Lord. Revive our attempts, revive our spirits to be compassionate and convicted about the truth as we share the gospel with those around us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your truth and your love. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, thanks for coming today. We'll see you again next week. We love you. Have a great week.